welcome to Cash Strength, the Whiskey Podcast, brought to you by myself, Torrin, and my brother and co-host, Ronan. Follow us on Instagram at Cash Strength Pod or on Twitter at Cash Strength Pod. Enjoy the show. Slash. Hello and welcome back to Cash Strength, the Whiskey Podcast. Uh, my name is Torrin. I'm joined again by my co-host Ronan. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm not bad. It's been a while. That's probably an understatement. Um, mm-hmm. There's been significant changes in, well, my local my location. You've stayed in the same place. I've moved to somewhere quite far away. Um, you've you've moved to a remote place. Aye, which has meant we can't record the podcast together and we've been racking our brains trying to figure out how uh, we can do this. But I mean, it's pretty straightforward. We just use an online video call service and record it pretty much. Uh, there was also, the, I mean, there was the issue of um, how do we both get the same whiskey? Yeah. Do we, do we buy a bottle each but or... Do we buy a bottle and then sample it out and then post it? And then I just thought that'll get really, really expensive. But we figured out a way to to crack that puzzle. So yeah, sort of. And that that is an issue. It's more a kind of logistics of actual alcohol now. And I mean, I guess you can send alcohol. Alcohol has all, has always been the issue with this podcast. Oh uh, yeah, this is just, so. this is just present a different form. Aye, I mean well, it's, it's all a learning curve. Uh, but we've both got the same dram today. I've got a 70 CL bottle. Ronan has a 3CL. 3CL, so a 30 ml yeah. bottle. So a wee bit different size. I guess we'll just be doing about a 3CL sample of it. Anyway, it doesn't take much else to kind of review a whiskey. But mm. um, the whiskey we have today, we both have, is uh, a Dal Ewan 16 year old. Uh, it's a Speyside single malt. It's 43% alcohol. It doesn't have any mention that it is chill filtered or unchill filtered or natural colour, so I would just always presume that it is chill filtered Mm -hmm. and it has had colour added to it. It's a Diageo uh, distillery and it's a bottling from uh, their flora and fauna range, Uh, so we can only presume that it probably has had the E one fifty or E one oh five or whatever. Aye, I would I would just I, I would assume so that it did. Especially if it doesn't state it yeah. that it hasn't. As, as I said, it's one of these flora and fauna bottles. And mm. I think I've known about these flora and fauna bottles are semi regular in kind of whiskey shops. Uh, I think this is the first time I've ever kind of uh, purchased one. I've probably definitely drunk uh, one before. I was aware it was Diageo whiskies, but apart from that, I wasn't really sure. Kind of seen it as uh, banded around as maybe something that was independent from Diageo, but they, they are Diageo bottlings. Um, but the story of them is actually quite interesting. Um, so back in the 1980s, which we spoke about quite often, uh, it's been quite a hard time for the whiskey industry. Um, when a lot of the whiskey industry was failing, a lot of distilleries were closing. And this was kind of more so down to uh, the kind of lack and demand for blends. But there there was less single malt whiskies in the market, but there was still a kind of slight demand for good quality aged single malt. 
So in the, mm-hmm. in, in the late uh, 1980s, DCL, who then obviously turned into Diageo, released six distinct uh, single malts from different regions around Scotland to represent different styles and called them the classic malts. Now, mm-hmm. if you ever tried to go on a Diageo whiskey website, it takes you to this kind of malts. malts.com classic yeah. malts. And you'll probably be aware of Diageo's series they release. I think it's once a year. And it's, I think it's called the Classic Malt series or something. And it usually involves a range of different whiskies. And they're all usually limited edition and they're always usually a bit more expensive. And they usually. Is that the one? Is that the series they release where it's always like a mid 30s Kalila is the one they they put out there? Yeah. 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 So they're kind of all really collectible, I think, now. Um, mm-hmm. There's probably none of the kind of originals cutting about, um, but basically the reason they did this originally was to release single malts from distilleries that were mostly only producing to go into the blended whiskies. Mm-hmm. So the early nineties they started to release these kind of other distilleries that you wouldn't really see. They were kind of closed shops, didn't have their own single malt releases, and they released them in small batches so you could taste every. Diageo single malt uh, individually. At this time, it wasn't called Flora and Fauna, but if you've ever seen the Flora and Fauna bottles, interestingly enough, they don't actually say Flora and Fauna on it, unless I can't see the wood for the trees. There's no mention of that, but they're so widely known as Flora and Fauna that I knew that they were Flora and Fauna before I'd even had owned or even drunk a bottle of this. Where the Flora and Fauna name came from was from a well-known guy called Michael Jackson. Not yeah. the disgraced pop singer, but the whiskey and beer writer Michael Jackson, who I think is actually sadly no longer with us. Uh, but due to the design on the label of the bottles, which is kind of plants and animals on the front of this, Yun is a badger, the humble badger. Um, he kind of nicknamed... <laughs> <laughs> Often thought that about badgers, humble, and and uh, persecuted actually, aren't they? Are they not horrible wee things? Uh, no, I think. Well, I've honestly, I've never, I don't know one at all. But uh, <laughs> I know farmers aren't too fond of them because they carry TB, I think, which mm-hmm. then they could pass on to cows, and I think if. I one cow in a herd or something uh, gets positive uh, TB. I think they end up putting down like the whole herd. So disastrous for farmers, which leads to kind of maybe like that alpaca they had. You see that story? Uh, that, yeah, I did actually. I don't know where you were going when you said alpaca, but I, uh, I can't remember uh, the name. It had TB, and then they had to put it down or euthanize it or whatever, didn't they? Mm. But that's not what happened to this badger. No, this is this is just a drawing. Um, <laughs> so, so due due to, I don't think the badgers necessarily get put down if they have TB. It's just the cows, but I think sometimes they maybe get relocated. Uh, but I'm unsure. But due to the animals that are on kind of all the bottles, uh, which and they also vary between the different distilleries. Um, they were kind of nicknamed or coined this flora and fauna. Uh, which is 
quite a cool name. And also if it's just a kind of nickname, it's not even the official name. So there used to be kind of 30 of these flora and fauna bottlings um, from all kind of Diageo distilleries, but some Diageo distilleries closed, kind of uh, notably the much loved and much missed Rosebank. Um, Pity Vake, which I've mm. never actually seen a bottle of Pity Vake in the flesh. I've never no. tasted it, but supposedly it was horrible. Some distilleries were sold. Um, they probably, I can't, I can't even think of one, maybe like Speyside or Speyburn or something was probably sold, something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and some were promoted to kind of non flora and fauna ranges that were promoted to be representing themselves, which is including the likes of Kalila, Klein Leash, Glen Elgin. Mm-hmm. To run through all the flora and fauna bottlings, I'll just run through them quickly. So they're kind of all B list, maybe C list distilleries. If you know, what I mean, there's no showstoppers there. You've mm-hmm. got uh, Arthrusk, Ben Rennes, Blairaffle, Dalyuin, Glen Spey, Glen Lossie, and Skewer, Linkwood, Manickmore, Strathnell, Tinanick. Some good. So there are just a lot, of, uh, a lot of them that well would build up the majority of the. Diageo blends. It's yeah, just a way pretty, of them. Just a way of them. Pretty, pretty much, and I know Diageo get a lot of bad press, but I actually think this is one of the good things that Diageo's doing. These probably aren't the most popular of distilleries. They won't be the biggest sellers, but you're still giving all the people that kind of work at these distilleries an actual tangible end product. You're giving the communities a tangible end product, their families of what is actually being produced in that kind of big building over there that runs 24-7. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, mm. I, I think it's quite good. So as well, we go on to the, the nose. Yeah, you 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 kind of give us a wee th- run through about the nose and then I'll give you a wee bit more about the distillery and then we can... So the nose, I'm really just picking up a lot of a slight battle between sort of rich sherry notes and sort of syrup, honey and sort of a nuttiness as well. So it's, it's not, I wouldn't say strong as what you would say is like Christmas cake. It's not got, it's not that big and bold about it, but it's along the similar sort of flavours that I'm picking up a little bit of brown sugar, some cherries, raisins, um, cinnamon, nutmeg, um, getting a lot of that, but very subdued. Not a, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't describe it as a big sherried whiskey and you pick up those flavours. It's not as bold as that. Delicate, more delicate. Um flavors coming through really i would say what about you yeah i kind of i kind of agree that it is it's it's delicate in the terms of it's not massive and bold but the flavors you are getting are quite inviting and i know delicate and rich is a oxymoron but yeah i i do agree you are getting that kind of sherry notes you're getting i think you're getting a lot of kind of uh cacao nibs um, that dark chocolate, you're getting a touch of orange zest, you're getting a kind of lovely sweetness on the nose. And you're always it's trying to describe it as delicate without making it sound like it's weak. I think that's where the it's it, where they sort of rich but delicate at the same time. Yeah, the flavors are the flavors are there and they're strong, I guess, but they're not, it's not a weak nose. It, is, yeah. it doesn't smell of nothing, if you know what it is. Yeah. That you're not, you're not struggling to pick up anything. I mean, just on kind of few minutes that have that's been sitting there opening up a wee bit it's actually getting a lovely kind of like gents kind of cologne gents aftershave kind of burst to it there's a lovely bit of kind of spicy oak char 
potentially could be a wee bit of smokiness to it. Um, and then, yeah, you're just getting some of the tannins from the wood and that's, yeah, most likely just down to it being a bit older. It is 16 years old, so you are getting a good amount of age to it. Mm. And there is a slight little sort of oaky, sort of woody tinge to it on the nose. And so I'll, I'll tell you a wee bit about the distillery, then we can mm. fire into the the more interesting stuff, although this is, this is quite interesting. So the distillery itself, um, so there's a wee bit of kind of discrepancy online, which sure it was built in 1851 or 1852. I reckon it was built in 1851 and opened as a distillery in 1852 by, yes. uh, by a William McKenzie. Um, and by all means, it's a kind of overlooked distillery, maybe not the right word, maybe it's just a kind of hidden gem. It's not a headline act distillery, that's the way I would describe it. Um, but by all means as well, it's actually quite hidden in terms of geography it lies. It kind of the foot of Ben Rennes and uh, kind of alongside the River Spey on the other side in Charlestown of Aberlour. And a wee kind of point on its name, Dal Ewan, um, it's how I believe you pronounce it. Uh, the name is Scottish Gaelic. And it means the Green Vale or the Green Valley or the Green Meadow. I would have thought it would have meant the Green Glen because in Scotland, valleys are glens. That makes sense, yeah. But um, I, th- I think if we just go for the place was pretty green um, and not the brand, not, not Liam Gallagher's brand, but it's a pretty green area and it was named after that. Um, do you know much about the distillery? Before deciding to do it for this podcast, I could have told you absolutely nothing about Dalyun. Uh, as you say, it's it's sort of an under the radar. Would mostly have and probably still does go into blends, and I don't think I've actually ever tasted any Dalyun before this either as well. But yeah, as he says, it was um, built probably eighteen fifty one, finished in eighteen fifty two. I'll tell you something interesting about this distillery. Maybe, uh, sorry. Maybe you can elaborate on it if you if you've um, if you've seen anything about it. I find this quite interesting. Is the distillery uh, back in eighteen eighty nine became the first distillery in Scotland to be fitted with that kind of telltale sign of distillery that we all kind of see and we all, mm. even though now they're quite um, pointless, they're, they're pointless and maybe ornamental, but. That famous uh, pagoda roof was built back uh, then yes. uh, by Charles Cree Doig or uh, Doig. Yeah, I would say Doig, but yeah. Doig, I suppose. Yeah, he was an architect, and he was brought to he was brought to Dalyun essentially to make it more efficient to improve the distillery as it expanded. Um, but then, is 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 see, I've I've read a few things. It was sort of picked out that it was this Chinese style but pagodas aren't necessarily just Chinese it's, they're more South South Asian, I guess that does accompany a bit of China but they're mostly religious sort of temples or buildings um, and actually it's been pointed out I've read a few articles about it online that they really aren't in any way like uh, pagodas um, what like distilleries have, and um, the pagodas are more tiered towers. Um, but I guess the the top is in some way 
similar to the top of a pagoda, but it's um, it's not yeah. actually it's not actually it's officially not, a pagoda. So yeah, I think if you brought a, someone who built a pagoda back in um, pre-Christian era of South Asia, where the Buddhists were building them, they would look at it and go, "That looks nothing like what we were building." Um, but yeah, they are more. So, so it's a fraud. We have got. Uh, it is a bit. It is a bit. We've been a lie. They're more. Uh, maybe pronouncing this wrong, but Coppola, C U P O L A, which Coppola. is a Coppola. 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 Yeah. Which is um, they're often dome-like, but they are a structure that fits on top of a building, and they usually is to facilitate the light or air coming in or going out. I guess so. Yeah. So that's the, the, these couple of roofs or pagoda roofs as they're kind of known as but actually the real name of them is the doig ventilator the, the doig ventilators yeah it, so it's essentially installed to allow hot air or smoke from the kiln coming out and it was essentially a vent so yeah the doig ventilator um yeah. first started at Dalyun. um and as you said yeah relatively pointless now even although i think it's noted that when Aden, the isle of Aden distillery was built and um in Locranza that they built it with these style roofs, which do absolutely nothing. It is purely for style now. Yeah. Um, so, the, so the functionality of these pagoda roofs are basically to increase uh, ventilation from your malt kiln room in the distillery. And mm-hmm. now malt kiln rooms and distilleries are pretty much non-functional because all the maltins happen at an outs, uh, kind of a contracted um well, done by maltsters, really. Yeah, done at maltsters. They're kind of outsourced. So there's only a few distilleries now that use the kiln and also can utilise this pagoda roof. And it's to do with allowing kind of air, as well as allowing smoke to come out, you're also looking for a draft to come in uh, mm-hmm. to increase the the air circulation within the kiln. So this is what these doig ventilators were were designed for. I don't. I don't know if you've got much more about his uh, Charles Cree Doig's exploits as a architect and a designer and distilleries. Do you? Well, he's 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 credited with designing up to fifty six dist- distilleries um, throughout Speyside, but also stretching up as far as well Highland Park and then Talisker, Hardbeg, Cleland, Lefroig. Um, but I guess you could actually say that any building that's built with that style. Whether it's a distillery or a building that's based off of this still, you could somewhat credit him for having an influence. Like Aaron, you would you would you could argue that he had an influence on the building of Aaron because they built it in the same style that distilleries are built like. So, um, yeah, I mean, a, a man that had a huge influence in the whiskey industry by just being more efficient, I guess, in their union, and then it's changed the way that whiskey distilleries, um were uh, built like and designed they do look good yeah. um, it, I find it very difficult to actually find images of distilleries pre um, doig ventilators um, but the way they are designed and look is is, is, is it's quite nice I suppose compared to just a, a big vent on the top I guess it would just be the kind of factory round chimneys that you see in kind of maybe mm. in, in old pictures especially old pictures i've seen of campbelltown i look across the distilleries you see these massive old kind of industrial chimneys that were just like brick chimneys and 
I, mm-hmm. I don't know much about chimneys, but I presume that was the, the go-to. Um, that was the standard kind of style. But this Charles Creedoig uh, was able to kind of create a much more efficient system. Um, actually I mean, see- the, I- the idea is that because the way they're shaped, that it will draw in the smoke further and bring it up. Yeah. Um, instead of a chimney, obviously, it's just straight up, which probably doesn't draw in the smoke as much, I guess. Yeah, I would think so. Um, unfortunately, his original um, Pagoda Coppola Doig ventilator mm. uh, was destroyed by a fire. I think it was actually quite a devastating fire at Dalyun Distillery in 1917. So the original isn't even there anymore. Um, but they have reinstated it by, by all means. Just wondering if a poorly designed uh, ventilator had anything to do with the fire at Dalyun. Uh, it might have been, but f- fingers fingers were pointed. I don't know. Uh, folk, folk were blamed, and he managed to get away with it. Uh, we could think. I think back then, yeah, health and safety wouldn't have been the same, and there would have been a lot of possible stuff going wrong. And um, I think when you've got massive kiln fires and spirit and um lots of uh, grain dust floating about and stuff like that. You've mm. got potential for uh, combustion, basically, and and um, it's, it's probably not unusual for distilleries to, to burn down at that time. Um, Some distilleries even burn down twice. That was what? Uh, Little Mill. Little Mill, yeah. I think, we've, I think we've discussed this previously and how it's an absolute insurance job. Um, that's that's pure speculation, and it's probably not true. Yeah, these these things happen. It's like it's like all the kind of listed buildings in Glasgow that nobody can touch because well, they are they are listed, they're old enough, but they're also basically derelict. And then some kind of um, what do you call it? Property developer wants to knock it down, and it's and rejected, it's- and then suddenly it burns down, and then next thing you know, it's student flats. Uh, this will only be relevant to people that live in Glasgow and maybe people that just live in the east end of Glasgow that know about it. There was an unused building that hadn't been used in years and years and years, and this is exactly what you were saying there, and it just sat there and suddenly it caught fire and burned down, and now like, the, the council have sold the land off to somebody else. Um, this is going way off topic, and I know it's kind of, especially I used to live in Edinburgh, and it was like leaf walk, basically they just wanted to knock everything down and Mm. build student flats I, what I can't understand about this is like is it going to get to the point that there's so many student flats that certain student flats can't be filled so these student accommodation companies will then go out of business then what happens to the buildings that are there uh, are they then just turned into luxury normal flats and sold off because this is going well off topic but surely there's going to get a point when the amount of student accommodation outweighs the amount of students because mm-hmm. the population of students in Scotland might be steadily growing, but it's not like bursting at the seams and everybody mm. has a place to live usually. Yeah, and there is a, a huge gripe about this. Um, and it, again, is way off topic for what we should be speaking about. But what they tend to do in Glasgow, or what it seems that what happens is that these old school buildings... They're, they're dotted all around Glasgow when schools used to be smaller and more community-based rather than bigger mm. schools. These old, lovely buildings will sit there, and because they are listed, they just 
they don't try to restore them. They just let them fall in the absolute ruin until they're a hazard. And then they go, oh, this is a hazard. Knock it down, build new flats. Instead of saving the old building, they sort of they let it go derelict and ruin it. You end up seeing it's like trees grown out of like the side of, side of the building and stuff like that. It's that's, quite a shame because these Glasgow City Council for you. They had GCC. Um, yeah, but it's it's a shame because they're, they're lovely old buildings, and even if they are going to be turned into flats, you would be good if you could keep the front face or even the the four exter- exterior walls or whatever. Just do something to maintain that bit of kind of that bit of history. But I mean, we've went so well they off. Have done- they, the, to bring it slightly back to topic, they have, and this is a very vague story, um, they have actually done that in Glasgow for down near Central Station. There's an old, old bonded warehousing front, right. and they've, right. built, they've built new office blocks behind it, but kept the old bond. I think I know. Is this at the Broomy Law? Yeah. Aye. No, I think, I, I think that's what you should do, because it's you need to retain a bit of, a bit of history, and if it was even just keeping the front of the building, keeping that front wall and building everything behind it and kind of, it makes it fit into the landscape a lot better, fit into the city centre. Um, these buildings will be here for 200 years and this type of material, the sandstone and everything that they built. And then they build these crappy ones behind it. They'll be knocked down before the, the old stone yeah. wall falls down anyway. But this is wildly off topic. What are you getting on the pallet? Yeah, so so pallet-wise, um, I was probably more impressed with the, with the nose to be honest but palette wise I'm getting that kind of dense kind of fruit cake um getting a waxy texture which I'll, I'll go on in a wee minute to kind of explain to you why there is this kind of waxy flavor to waxy texture sorry to this this whiskey getting a nutty flavor getting caramel toffee getting a good kind of burst of coffee as well and that's that kind of similar to the to the nose these are all kind of notes that you would commonly find together that kind of chocolate zest in this mm. toffee especially in this style of whiskey which is obviously at least trying to be a, a kind of heavily sherry matured whiskey but obviously with that added color we're unsure how kind of dark it would be um what what i do get from this whiskey which um especially when it's going to be sitting in the glass a while is this kind of slightly medicinal so it's kind of me- metallic flavor it's mm-hmm. not over, not overpowering. It's not, it's not at the forefront, but it is there and it is very noticeable. And um, I, it's just not, it's just not the greatest flavor because it's not like a island whiskey or a, a peated whiskey or one of those whiskeys you would expect a kind of medicinal or metallic kind of flavor to it. But it does have that. I'm not particularly enjoying it. Other people might enjoy that, mm. um, but carrying on from that i'm kind of getting kind of dried fruits kind of like almost like dates touch of rose water and then yeah coming in the end again kind of continuing that kind of kk flavor maybe like a madeira sponge a kind of sweet Mm. uh, it's slightly citrusy uh kind of cake yeah i know what you mean when you're speaking about that metallic thing this is to be taken a bad way it's very clean if you know what I mean, like yeah. there's, there it, it's not like when we tasted a Klein Leash, where it was there was a bit of obviously Klein Leash has that sort of waxiness that it's famous for, but this is just very clean and there doesn't seem to be much character. Like if I was to taste that blindly, I wouldn't be able to go, oh that's a dull you and you can tell. 
it just seems like it there isn't a lot of dis- it doesn't seem like a lot of distillery characters coming through which maybe maybe that is actually the distillery character that it is very so sort of, it, well it's almost like too polished what they're actually trying to do is that it's quite different so um if i could just run through a bit about the distillery and maybe mm. at least what they're trying to do is different but i do understand what you're saying there it kind of like when you take it on the palate you kind of just go is that is that it almost you know so but I'll talk I'll talk you through the equipment quickly at, at Dow Yun. so eleven point two five ton uh, stainless steel full outer mash ton yep decent size probably folk are sick of me mentioning the mash ton um, eight wooden washbacks two stainless steel washbacks which are interestingly outside so they must be temperature controlled uh, you've got a seventy five hour fermentation um, supposedly but this as we've come to know, this kind of varies. It depends. It's if it could be longer, it could be shorter. It's, it's kind of on average three pairs of stills, and you've got uh, around kind of three million liters per annum. But I wouldn't be surprised. That was the most recent kind of figure I could get. I wouldn't be surprised if it was higher or lower, depending on uh, the way the market fluctuates and demand and mm-hmm. stuff. They've got shell and tube condensers. Um, so all, all this is kind of space-side whiskey, standard. Interestingly enough, it's got wooden wash, but that good. Shell and chip condensers. You're expecting this kind of light, kind of malt. But what actually they've been trying to do, in the, especially for the last few years, so maybe we'll not see the, the kind of outcome of the changes, is made a few changes uh, to totally kind of alter the new make spirit. So a few uh-huh. years ago, they changed some of the copper out of uh, the condensers and they swapped it with stainless steel. So this is to achieve a more kind of sulfury style of new make. This, uh, at this time, it coincided with Klein Leash closing for refurbishment. So this was going to be a silent period for Klein Leash, say in 10 years, 12 years, when the whiskey is going to go into kind of needed for blending. So during this Klein Leash kind of closure, what they did was try to change Dal Ewan to emulate Klein Leash's flavor. Mm-hmm. So as of as I've mentioned, they removed the copper from the condenser, changed it with stainless steel. So this would create a more sulfury flavor, which you do get a bit of from Klein Leash. You get a kind of at least a more distinctive flavor. It's quite a unique flavor. Uh, they changed the fermentation time. This was to give you a kind of heavier, meatier um, malt, which in turn creates a kind of more waxiness and then they also kind of speed up the distillation so speed up that kind of hearts time which would give you a kind of heavier spirit um so this was only done in 2015 i think so not enough time to be shown in the bottle that we are drinking but mm-hmm. it'll be interesting in say 10 years time uh to try again a kind of dalyun because it should be a very different kind of flavour. I, I do think when we're kind of speaking about this whiskey, I think they're going for like a meaty whiskey. You know what I mean? I, th- mm-hmm. I think what they're going for in, in the glass isn't a dainty side whiskey. It seems like they're going for something that's a bit more meaty, a bit more full-bodied, a bit more rich. I just don't know if they've quite got it yet, and they might do with all these changes that they've put into place, they might get something more towards the lines of kind of clean leash. Yeah. I think 
Diageo, I'm just putting in more, maybe more a coincidence than anything else, but it's probably worked out that because they've opened Rose Isle Distillery, the massive distillery that can just produce any style that they want across their range, is that they probably need these distilleries, which maybe have lacked character or any sort of fandom or any sort of cutting edge to them, except what we would say about Climb, they are trying to develop an actual character to these distilleries because it will soon become the point that anything that to be used in blends will come out of Rose Isle because they can create a Climb, or they can create a Dalyu in style from Rose Isle, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So they are, I would say that they have to make these changes, as you were saying, and eventually we'll see what the Dalyu in character is or what it's going to be become. And what, what it can be. Um, yeah. And in, another interesting thing about kind of Dalyun was that it used to be home to uh, a dark grains processing plant, which dealt with all of Diageo's southern and central mm-hmm. uh, byproducts from their distilleries. So that would be your kind of draft and your pot ale. Uh, and then they would turn this into cattle feed pellets and pot ale syrup, um, which kind of continues our uh equal theme that we always seem to put in a, at least in a once every two two podcasts that we can shout out for them unfortunately it closed i think a few years ago now um and i think from kind of maybe 2019 when it closed up until now you'll now see a lot of waste draft and byproducts from facilities that actually go to these bio energy plants which is actually a bit of kind of hot topic for our farmers because they're complaining about not only the badgers, but they're complaining about how they're now getting a limited uh, cattle feed um, for mm-hmm. their kind of livestock and stuff like that. Because draft traditionally, from the beginning of commercial distillation, mm-hmm. byproducts of making whiskey have gone hand in hand with either cattle feed, as in the draft, or mm-hmm. as pot ale spread over the fields as fertilizer, yeah. and stuff like that. And quite often, if not majority of the time, whiskey distillers were also farmers. Aye, so now they, there's a lack of a lack of cattle feed, really, Aye. because everybody's well being more it's environmentally been... friendly. I guess. Yeah, well. It, I think it would be a hard I suppose you would have to do the numbers and do the math but I think it would be a hard argument saying what is more environmentally friendly taking the draft away and giving it to cattle or taking the draft to a biomass plant and turning it back into energy I think the energy um, argument would win because cattle are arguably a major cause of what was it, methane or methane? Yeah, uh, to contributors to the ozone layer and stuff like that. But we won't get into that today. That's not really what we had to talk about. But uh, <laughs> it was just interesting that they had that at Dalyun and closed it down. Presumably, they've moved it to an even bigger and better plant, just like they'll do with all their distilleries moving to, or all, the, all their whiskey styles will move to a central location, just like um, Rose Isle, which you've just mentioned. Mm. Uh, have you got any whiskey news this week? Um, well, I guess the biggest whiskey news is that the, the new Johnny Walker Visitors Experience has opened in Edinburgh. Um, that's probably the biggest thing. Um, so it's officially, I, officially open now. Is that about a year yeah. late? Is that a year late or something, is it? Pandemic late. COVID late. 
COVID late. Is, yeah, COVID late. Um, yeah, so that that's opened. I've got my tickets to go. Thought might as well go. I think it's one of those things that I think the whisk industry, and I often think tenants should sort of do something like this as well. It hasn't had that Guinness style big visitors attraction. Yeah. Um, most may, may, probably because distilleries actually wanted them to come to the distillery, wanted tourists to come yeah. to the distillery and see it. But we've never really had that big sort of Guinness. When you go to Scotland, you've got to do the the big this the whiskey visitors attraction and i think it'll be really fun actually it'll be really enjoyable um that's where i was mentioned tenants i think tenants should probably do something like this and to where you go to glasgow you you go do the tenants tour because that's that's what you do um i mean guinness Guinness can do and we've we've been to the guinness tour and it's it's like it's a show i wouldn't quite say it's yeah if you're into beer if you're into guinness the best place to get the kind of real idea of what Guinness is about is to go to the kind of local pubs, probably not even in Dublin, but go to the local pubs in County Cork, um, different kind of wee places where you're going to get a right good pint of Guinness, and then you'll get a taste of what Guinness means to the country. But going to Guinness factory in Dublin is uh, so far away from seeing how the brewing process actually mm. happens that you're kind of just like, oh, all right, okay, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's a... It's a fair attraction. It's a, it's a showground, yeah. basically, but it's it's still enjoyable. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've actually I've actually been reading the, the Johnny Walker book that they done and um, that they released, and it is again, it's as you say, it's maybe a wee bit of a show, and it's only going to tell you the good things in the history that really happened. And yeah, but I'm going next week, two weeks time or whatever, to the Johnny how, Walker thing. How how did you get tickets for that? Um, my partner bought them. <laughs> um, but yeah just went online and booked them but they sent you a cool thing and I'll describe why I'm uh, I'm cynical of it but they sent you a cool thing with the basically you rate the flavours that you like it'll come up with do you like vanilla and you tell them oh I like vanilla a lot and I hate it and so on and so forth and it was about 10, 10 to 12 different questions and then they gave you a whiskey um, category I ended up with tropical at the end and they says oh you'll get the yellow bands because it's for tropical and that's the whiskey that you'll try so they're saying that they can create and modify your own visiting experience so you don't taste any whiskey that you don't like I guess is the the way they, they would sort of view it or say the, the cynic in me would suggest that they're just trying not to waste whiskey because I presume a place like that if you gave everybody here's the four or five different Johnny Walkers that you're able to try oh I like one of them four of them are just chucked because you obviously can't reuse it so i just think it's a way of them cutting down giving you whiskey that you don't think you'll like but and i suppose they couldn't just give like like if you go on a distillery tour maybe you get a dram at the end or whatever they just give everybody mm. the exact same dram and that's the dram they give you but yeah Johnny walkers of such size and so many different whiskeys go into it you probably need to be able to give them or at least give several options and if you ask people before they come like what well, what what exact flavors do you like? And then mm. if they come and like, well, I don't like that. And it's well, you said you liked it. Aye, that's the cynic in me thinks it's so they don't need to open every ball and give you it so they can cut it down. And me, and my partner, we actually got the same tasting thing. Yeah, tasting profile, which is strange because we don't really we don't like the same types of whiskey. 
So I don't know whether it's the that nah, the day we are going the day the day we are uh, going is trop, tropical day. Uh, we've whiskey. only we've only we've only got the yellow wristbands to give them. Everybody's tropical, but if you go on the Monday, you'll be smoky or something like that because the whatever wristbands will be in that day. I, I think that might be the case. Uh. <laughs> but I don't know. It, it it should be quite enjoyable, and it, I think it's probably a good thing for Scotch whiskey tourism. Definitely, I guess there's already a Scotch whiskey experience up at the top of the Royal Mile, but. Yeah, I think. Uh, I hear mixed reviews about that, though. And I used to work in a whiskey shop on the Royal Mile and we'd always send people up because people would come in and be like, oh, I know nothing about whiskey. And we'd be like, well, we're quite a specialist, we're quite a specialist shop and we're, we're not here to take you for a ride. Go and find out what you like. Go to a bar or go to mm-hmm. the Scotch, Scotch whiskey experience. Learn a wee bit about it, and then when you have like, a few ideas, then come back. We always used to send folk there, but then some people would come back and be like, "Oh, it's just like so basic. It's so like it's almost mind numbing how how basic it is. Basic it is, and it would only kind of cater to you if you really knew absolutely nothing. Like basically, you didn't know how anything was made, and you didn't even know what whiskey was, which is fine. It has a place, but I, I never went, so we would just send folk there blindly. Um, yeah. No, I've, I've, I mean, I've been in it. I've never done the, the tour or whatever. I mean, I don't think this Johnny Walker experience will help with that at all. I mean, you're not going to send somebody no, to the Johnny Walker experience because they'll probably never come back. <laughs> I, w- I would be going to the Johnny Walker experience wanting an experience. I'd be wanting to go in for... Yeah. I, sh- I want to see mad stuff, you know what I mean? I'd, I'd rather it was uh, a Willy Wonka the Chocolate Factory type thing. Like, I'd... If it was like that, I would walk away going, wow. See, if you go and they try and just really, really pull the wool over everybody's eyes and all that, then I suppose it would be quite disappointing if it was just that kind of, which it will, undoubtedly, at least a bit of it will be that kind of same old whiskey BS. Um, but if it's got if it's got a, the story of Johnny Walker, which will be undoubtedly interesting, and mm. then it has some like cool stuff you know like if you could blend your own whiskey there and then out of all these different stuff and all that and that's a wee bit gimmicky but it's pretty cool yeah I've, i actually don't think i've ever really the only johnny walker i tried is red label and that's like the that's like the bottom yeah entry johnny walker isn't it so that's the only one i've actually tried but it'll be interesting to try some of them and I remember this. This is a stupid story as well. I remember years when it was first planned, and it was saying, "Oh, they'll have a they'll have a bar that overlooks Edinburgh Castle," and that was that. This is what somebody was telling me, and I was like, "How the fuck could it overlook Edinburgh Castle? It would have to be absolutely massive." And uh, so no, but no, you can see Edinburgh Castle from the rooftop bar. You can look on to. You look onto Edinburgh Castle, or you look up to Edinburgh Castle, but. Um, you would actually you describe the Johnny Walker experience of being at like the foot almost. It's almost the it's yeah. nearer the foot of the Edinburgh Castle than it is up, I, above, above I, it. I can't. I don't understand how that's a selling point to anything because surely if you're on any roof in the centre of Edinburgh, you'll see Edinburgh Castle. Uh, but yeah, you can see you can see it from quite a lot of places. That's, that's again. That's just the pernicky so. Pain in the arse side. When when's that you're going? A few weeks down. Or? It's next Sunday, I think. Uh, next Sunday. 
Okay. I'll let you know. I'll probably end up buying something. Not ask any questions. Um, just buy something. Take my money and then I leave. And then I've been suckered into the whole thing. And the, and the Edinburgh Festival is actually done now. So did you go through for any of that? Edinburgh Festival? Absolutely not. No? You're not didn't, didn't really didn't even really know it was on. Is this the fringe thing? Yeah, I don't think it was as big as it has been, obviously, because of COVID and uh, stuff like that. But I was actually in Edinburgh when it was on, but ended up not going. If it's not as big, like part of the Edinburgh Festival is just like walking up um, High Street or part of the Royal Mile and just folk will come up to you and be like, free show, half an hour or a show, £3 to get in. It's in half an hour and you'll be like, ah, right, we'll just go. And then you just get a drink, you watch it and you just, you if you walk away and all the shows are rubbish, you're like, that's a waste of an afternoon. But if you walk away, you could find some people that were really class and end up going to something that was quite good and you'll keep an eye out for that person in the next year. Or Yeah, so it's all part of the fun. And, but I could imagine COVID would... Put a kind of yeah, it would ruin that spontaneity of ah, exactly, exactly. Um, we've kind of went through the tasting notes there. There's no point in kind of doing the finish. We'll just what I'll do is I'll ask you for your run through of all your tasting notes, include the finish, um, and then your wee kind of roundup of it or whatever. Then after that, we'll go on to the the whiskey league. Whiskey week, yeah. So, in terms of on the nose, I actually thought the the nose was the most enjoyable part of this whiskey. And again, slightly sort of soft, delicate, sort of Christmas cake, brown sugar, cherries, molasses, honey, syrupy. So, if you really got as as we usually say, the the nose on the whiskey sort of brought me in thinking, oh, this will actually be a really good whiskey. I'll really enjoy this um, with the flavours that it was given onto the palate. As you mentioned, the sort of metallical, I thought it was very clean. Um, the the sort of thick juiciness that the the nose was suggesting didn't continue for me on the palate, but quite nutty, quite oak, woodiness, barley water, barley sugar in there as well. Um, Vanillas, cinnamons, nutmegs, a little bit of sherryness in there. Um, again, very, very. When I said the nose before was delicate and not weak, I would suggest that the palate is weak. It's very, very light to me. Um, finish to me was pretty non-existent. A uh, little bit of sort of cinnamon, buttery sort of vanilla notes in there, but yeah, all in all, the the nose was the best part about it. Um, and there was a continuation, it's like sort of okay woodiness throughout but yeah what about yourself aye so so on the nose I, I think I would agree with you it is the, probably the best thing about this whiskey it's it's quite inviting it's you're getting those kind of sherry notes you've got kind of intense kind of chocolate or cacao nibs that orange zestiness hint of that kind of oaky char smokiness to it just kind of slightly there orange zest and then Again, that kind of tannins coming from the wood um, on the palate. You're getting a slight kind of waxiness, getting a kind of dense kind of fruit cake, um, nutty flavour coming through, precisely probably like kind of like a walnut or something like that, um, caramel, coffee, which is it was quite, quite uh, 
wigs to be expected, especially kind of from the nose. This is the kind of things you're looking out for. But then I'm getting that kind of medicinal metallic flavor, which didn't kind of sit right with me, to be honest. Um, getting dates, rose water, and then again, coming in that end, uh, actually probably the most enjoyable thing about the palette is that kind of Medida sponge coming in at the end. Oh, we okay. touch of vanilla. Uh, on the finish, slight wood smoke, getting that kind of bitterness. It's quite dry. And then there's some more kind of dark chocolate. As a kind of we round up, I would say it's kind of just meh. You know what I mean? It's kind of just like the note... <laughs> The nose is inviting, and then you get the palate, and you just, it's just like, oh, is that it? Um, and then I had a lot better uh, kind of Dalyuns. Well, I've had a lot better whiskies for the money. Uh, and mm-hmm. was, we should have mentioned it was £57 or something like that, which isn't terrible for a 16-year-old, but had a lot of better whiskies for the money, basically. And I've actually I've actually had quite a few Dalyuns. Uh, that have been younger, uh, kind of had. I've had ten, I've had twelve, fourteen from an independent bottler, and uh, they have been kind of a lot better as well. I would think it's not. There's nothing extremely bad about this no. whiskey. It's a good whiskey. It's a whiskey I will put in with the other whiskies that I've got, and every once in a while I'll dip into. I would actually, as a kind of wee bit of a nerd for collecting whiskey i mean i'm not the biggest collector but i think if you were looking for a nice collection you could have one of each from the flora and fauna set i think that's something that would look quite nice and i think mm-hmm. that's an, i think that's the nicest thing i would i would enjoy about this whiskey but it's it's inoffensive but it's not a showstopper and that's probably why it's not graduated from the flora and fauna range up to having its own range within diageo's uh, malts yeah i i hate this sort of I hate the terminology that I'm about to use, but see when you could just you don't want to think about a whiskey and you could just have a whiskey and you enjoy it and you don't want to think too much into it and it's a sort of a sipping no it's sipping whiskey is what I'm trying to say. It's a whiskey you would just drink normally and you wouldn't really think too much about it. Um I take us back to when we had the Waterford or that method in madness, the chestnut oak cask and stuff, or chestnut cask, right? You you'd have to sort of sit and taste them and go, all oh, right, this is, you have to think about it. It'd be very difficult yeah. to drink them or tan them without thinking about what's actually going on. Where with this, you could very, very easily not think about what's going on because there isn't a lot. So you could just tan away uh, at it. Um, I, I feel like there's a lot, even in, I don't have the biggest whiskey shelf, but even in what I do have, I feel that I've got a lot better whiskeys that fill in those boots. A whiskey yeah. when I just want just to have a nice dram, sit down and enjoy enjoy the dram, but not think about it too much. Uh, there's better ones in this. I feel like there's better ones in there um, that I would go to before the flora and fauna. Uh, mm. Dal Ewan, uh, obviously 16-year-old. It's not, not the whole flora and fauna range. I'm not totally disregarding them yet. <laughs> so the, the taste, from the one taste of this Dal Ewan 16-year-old flora and fauna, we have... Uh, they're all rubbish. Written off, written off every flora and fauna there is. Um, but no, yeah, I, I would agree with you there as well. I've got ones that I would drink. If, it would have to be a very bad whiskey for this to sit in front of it. I think there's just there's just nothing there. <laughs> Although uh, a bad whiskey would actually be interesting because you could sit and go, oh, this is bad for this reason. This is uh, uh, almost if that kind of metallic 
uh, kind of medicinal note was more prominent, it would it would be a bigger talking point. It would probably be more interesting. It's mm. I, again, I, I, I'm not I'm not saying this whiskey isn't enjoyable. It is relatively enjoyable, but it is just a bit kind of meh. Like it's just again that might be what it is. Right. And that's it's a it's a cheap enough sixteen year old single malt at forty three percent. It's got a little bit of shade note in it. Maybe that's what it's meant to be. Maybe yeah, a, but I don't think I don't think that extends to the actual spirit itself. Because as I say, I've had Dalyuns from an independent bottler, and mm. I found it very enjoyable. And I thought it was one of those under the radar whiskies that did get overlooked. But it was like kind of it was it was made that even bit more enjoyable because it was it was that hidden gem from those kind of independent bottlings. But yeah, I, I don't think that is carried on into this kind of flora and fauna release. I think it could be a lot better, and I look forward to and maybe in ten years time or even four years time or whatever when the kind of that whiskey from twenty fifteen when they made the changes to the process and see how that affects the actual matured spirit it will be interesting to see what that uh, develops into um i would imagine it'd be more interesting than this drama anyway <laughs> possibly um will we go on to the scotch whiskey league yeah um yeah we can do just before we move on and say you can get in contact you'll be able to give them the 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 what's it tag or whatever you call it for instagram the username yeah get so- in contact via instagram to in Tell us what drams you're are trying and ones that you might think we would want to review. Um, just in general, what maybe you tried to tell you and what you thought of it, or any of the ones we've ever done before. Is that yeah. it's Cash Strength Whiskey Podcast? Yeah, so I suppose as being within air quotations podcasters, we should be a wee bit better at self promotion of our podcast. Mm. But we are on Twitter at Cash Strength Pod. We're on Instagram at Cash Strength Pod. You can contact us via email. Uh, podcast at gmail.com if you go onto our Instagram that's where we're most active uh, you'll find a link to our link tree and that'll take you to anything you want um, there is Cash Strength Pod blog coming soon I've spoke to a few friends within the whiskey industry that are keen to do it we'll see how that goes um, and what else is coming soon um, nothing really but yeah Go on, go on our Instagram, that's where we're more active that's where I'm most likely to reply, if you've got any kind of suggestions or um, recommendations then just fire them over to the Instagram or via email and uh, me or Ronan will get back to you, actually one thing I would like to bring up that I've seen on kind of Instagram and Twitter was uh, a charity that I've seen recently, it's called the Step Up Foundation and the, the kind of point of this channel is to um it's a spirits training and entrepreneurship program for underrepresented professionals in the industry so the charity was set up to help people of different races color nationality genders uh, sexual orientation uh, into the drinks industry through uh, internship and a mentorship program it's an american foundation so i know lots of our listeners are uk based uh, we are uk based but a lot of our listeners are American-based, so I mean, if that sounds good to you, if you're kind of young individual, I think kind of one of the only stipulations was you're over twenty-one, uh, but the applications are now open, and and you can find out more information about it on Step Up Inter- Internship 
stepupinternship.org. That's stepupinternship.org. Very good. So on to the Whiskey League. Yeah, so I'll run through the Whiskey League for you. Um, we've got sitting there proud at the top, probably never to be moved. It's the long row red, 12-year-old Pinot Noir. Second, we've got Nick Nian. Third, we've got the Gun Scotia. Uh, it was an open day bottling. Uh, fourth and fifth, we've got a duo of Springbank 10-year-old local barleys with the Oloroso sitting just slightly above the bourbon uh, cask edition. Um, on sixth place, we've got Kleinleash 14-year-old. Seventh place, we've got the Anok 18-year-old. That's what we reviewed uh, most recently. Eighth place, we've got Ben Nevis 10-year-old. Ninth, Glen Kinchy 12-year-old. And tenth, we've got Bunahavent Sturadar. And all these pictures and everything, information about the synopsis of the episodes, whatever, can be found on basically Instagram and Twitter. So if you ever wonder what... Uh, we're doing or what we've done in the past head over to connect mostly instagram that's the kind of visual aspect of it and you'll also see previous scotch whiskey leagues in a kind of nice uh graphical format aren't they it's probably mm, one of the very good one of the best things we've done in this podcast is outsourcing the scotch whiskey league graphic to somebody else somebody that knows what they're doing Aye, pretty uh, much. so i think this will be a fairly short discussion this isn't getting into the top 10 whiskey league is it I don't think it does. No, I, I think I think what we described, what I described as being a whiskey that I would rather sit with and not think about and enjoy it more would be uh, the likes of the Ben Nevis 10 or the Glenclinchy 12 or the Bunahavn Sturdy Dar. And those are the three at the bottom of the league. So if it mm. doesn't get past them, then it's not getting in the league. That's fair enough. Um, actually, when you were, I finished the bottle of the Kleinleash 14 last night. Just as a bottle kill sort of thing. Um, All right, okay, that's gone. The there, yeah. there has been there has been a few comments on uh, the Instagram, uh, the the Instagram, um, saying. What do you do with all the bottles? Like, how do you just keep all these bottles? And basically, the answer is like, just work through them. Um, but by bet, there's no great rush to finish them. Uh, but they basically just sit there. And, you just have a dram once in a while, and eventually, like the Kleinleash 14, arguably gets one of finished. the gets finished. And probably the, the, the Kleinleash 14 is arguably the best out of that kind of everyday dram bunch that you're gonna mm. return to. And that is reflected in the league. It's sitting below, I mean, five whiskies that three of them are from Springbank Distillery, one's from Glasgow, and one's from Nate Mean. So you can't typically say they're everyday drams. Mm. Yeah, I actually took a tour up to Kleinleash. It's quite a long way. Um, I went through it and got their distillery exclusive bottling. Not yeah. age, but yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, it? Yeah, it's, it is really, really good. Um, I've not finished that one yet, but it is close to being finished. Um, I recently opened uh, Caddenhead's Annandale. It's six years old as well. I'd one dram out and thought, oh, I don't like this. Um, but I'll probably have to go back to that and give it another go. Oh, really? Maybe it'll change my opinion, yeah. You see, you see, Are you drinking see... anything interesting just now? Kind of, I've not been drinking actually too much whiskey. Recently, you know, sometimes you go through kind of, I've had a Peaks and troughs. Of, yeah, pretty much. I've been out <laughs> with a couple, a couple of friends last weekend. We had uh, a couple of Isla Festival bottlings at Brucladi. And uh, a couple of Bowmore Tempests and stuff like that. So I've been doing a lot. Most of my whiskey drinking recently has been uh, pub-based. 
the the most recent one I had in the house was uh, that Springbank local barley uh, bourbon. But see, when you say you, you went up to Kleinleash, did we speak about my visit to Lindor's Abbey? No. Tell us. Well, this was actually a while ago, so I can't remember much of it, I guess. But went to visit, went to visit Lindor's Abbey, um, and it was a couple of weeks after their literal first release. And um, it was when you mentioned Annandale, actually, there, when you said, ah, I don't know, like, six years old. I think Lindor's Abbey, I don't know, it was maybe between what between three and five, I guess. Mm, yeah. But it gave me that same kind of vibe of, yeah, it's just not old enough. You know what I mean? It's just maybe in time it can be better, um, which is all right for the distillery if they know uh, Torre Vague on, I was going to say on Talisker, on Sky, they've done a smart thing where they're releasing bottles of their whiskey, but they're saying, aye, but it's not ready yet, but we'll release it. Yeah. But just so you remember, if it's rubbish, then it's, it's, it's not ready. So it's your fault. It's, for- it's-, it's- it's your fault for buying it. Basically, I, I love yeah. that kind of market. And the, the best and the first that I can remember was uh, Kilkerran uh, whiskey from Glengyle and Campbelltown. When they were releasing their kind of not quite ready bottles yet, they called it the Work in Progress series. Mm. And to be honest, I've, I've still got one or two of those Work in Progress series. The blue the blue tube and blue label, no, kind of blue, actually, sorry, it's blue, uh, blue is really quite young. I think that's one of the first ones. It's kind of this bluey green color label mm-hmm. and they, yeah. did, they did a cast strength bourbon and that's just absolutely stunning it's probably the best Glengyle uh, sorry best called Karen from Glengyle distillery that I've had and that's including stuff they've actually properly released yeah uh, um, I do like I do enjoy that sort of we're telling you this isn't ready so if you don't like it we've covered ourselves yeah, pretty much. I love it. Like, this isn't ready yet. Why, like, almost, like, we'll release it. But that's fine. And see if you, see if you're a distillery and you release a three-year-old, but you release it as, like, this is our main whiskey. Almost puts people off because if it's not ready at three-year-old, then people mm-hmm. will just have that perception. Tell you, like, when Cohoman started releasing whiskey as, like, three or four years old, and it was one of the first releases, they nailed it because their three, four-year-old was actually really good. So mm-hmm. they were able yeah. to just build on that. But you see the likes of new distilleries releasing three, four, five-year-old and marketing as like, this is our single malt. I, I don't know. I'm not a whiskey market and I'm not in the business, but I, just, I think it's disappointing when you taste the first release from a distillery and it's not good, or it's just not, you know, it just needs more age um, because it gives you that perception. But if you do what Torre Veggs did and just say, hey, this isn't ready yet, but we're just mm. releasing it. Then I think it's kind of it's a bit cheeky, but it's also it's I think it's good marketing. Yeah, and to be fair, to that, I don't think I've actually tried any Annandale that Annandale have released. Don't think I've any seen it, seen any either. It's from Cadenhead, so it's the the fact that I didn't like it on the first dram is uh, is essentially Cadenhead's fault. Yeah, I guess so. No, I think Annandale have released. <laughs> I think Annandale have released whiskies that are. The man of two swords and stuff like that. I think that's what they're doing. It's like two swords. It's kind of not not a kind of traditional style looking bottle. That might be another distillery that I'm getting mixed up with. But I think it's Annandale. I, I'm in no rush to seek out a bottle of Annandale. Why not just wait until it's a bit older or whatever? See see if the opportunity comes about. That's actually what a part of the whiskey news is. I think whiskey festivals have 
at least one, a very popular one, I think, called Malt Stock. Have you ever been to that? No, I have never been to that. Um, is that a stupid question? Or? No, well, no, it's not It's not a stupid question. I, I guess I've had the opportunity to go, not like I've been invited or anything like that, but I guess for the companies I've worked for, there would have been the opportunity. Um, very, very popular festival. I th- with, with more learned gentlemen than ourselves, I think. I think it's a very popular, what you would describe as geek Oh, is it oriented festival? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, so, I so, uh, and to the to the gen to the man on the Clapham bus to the to the general public, whiskey podcast doesn't it quite meet the geek level of whiskey enthusiast? Um, I see. Uh, I yeah, I would. I would, if somebody was new to whiskey, I would wouldn't recommend going to malt stock as your first festival. Although I'm sure you would be really welcomed, yeah, and encouraged to go. Um, I think it would, it could could come across quite over overpowering. Um, okay, I don't know anything about it, but I just seen it was on. I think yesterday uh, there was there was a whiskey festival in Birmingham. It was on at the weekend. Um, obviously, the rules in England and Scotland are slightly different, but in terms of COVID and social distancing and stuff, but um, I know someone that went and I was speaking to them about it, about the sort of procedure that was going through, about how, I mean, whiskey festivals would tend to be, it's a race to the front to get your dram. But there's now a sort of, you're given a sort of time period where you can go up, pick your option, speak to the person that's behind the stand, and then you can go and sit down near the stand to then you can wait to go back up if you've got a follow-up question or whatever. And it actually sort of sounds like, yeah, that's probably the way it should be. Uh, that's, instead, that sounds instead, good. Uh, instead of battering through people, to try and speak to the person and the person's time is cut because they're always pouring drams but if yeah. you're serving two three people at a time and it's sort of you've got a little bit more time to speak to the brand ambassador or whoever's working i actually think that's probably more enjoyable uh, it's maybe one of those positives that can come out of this uh, unfortunate time we've been living through another one mm-hmm. of them is like when you go into a pub now and they say it's table service and then at the start when pubs opened, you were like, oh, but part of the experience in a bar is like going up to the bar, isn't it? Mm. But then you soon realise that having table service, if run well, is absolutely fantastic. Like, it's so much yeah. better than going up and standing in a bar and somebody comes and pushes in in front of you or the barman just somehow misses you a few times and then you're yeah. left there like, oh, no, like, am I... Do I look stupid or something? Is that what this guy's not serving me? You know what I mean? So, so that this... this kind of table service or more regimented time slots for certain things it's 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 kind of positive i was in <laughs> when you say the table service done well it, i mean it works and it's, it is good um, and it, i think it's a more enjoyable experience as a customer not only because the the time that you spend going up and buying a round of drinks is time that you're not spending doing the thing that you want to be in the pub for right. which is to hang out and speak with your friends if you're there and you know what I mean? So uh-huh. you get more time to actually do that, which is always a positive. I was in Sloan's in town, sitting outside for a pint, and it was table service, the great to come up the order, right? Fine, no bother. <laughs> Remember your table number and you'll hear over the tannoy as they call it out and you have to go and collect your pint for the bar. So it's a sort of half and half service. We'll take your order at the table, but you still need to go to the bar to get it. And I'm just like, surely that is not an efficient service. I I guess so. I don't. I don't know. Maybe that's the way they've. That's the way it kind of. It's worked out best for them. But I, I've not. I've not experienced that yet. I've just experienced kind of almost like kind of restaurant service, 
but you're in a bar and they bring the drinks over and uh, it keeps everybody seated as well. So I, I bet I bet it's better for servers as well because there's nothing. I've been a, a server. There's nothing worse than when you're trying to get to a table and there's somebody like meandering, blocking you off. I uh, meandering in front of you and you're working mm. on kind of tight shift. You know, you're working at a quick pace. So I think that kind of thing benefits everybody. Um, but right, I'll run through the whiskey league, which is unchanged. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> So it's Long Row Red at the top, McNeon, Quinn Scotia, two Springbanks, then it's Kleinleash 14, Anok 18, Ben Nevis 10-year-old, Glen Kinchy 12-year-old, and 10th place, Buna Sturidar. And unfortunately for the Dalyun, Flora and Fauna Bottling, 16-year-old, it didn't quite make the cut. Um, so it's down it's in the, bar- the second division with the likes of Glen Murray. Or yeah, more. It's, it's banished to the outskirts of whiskey leagueism it's gone it's never getting back in it's never been opened again (laughs) no it's uh, it's 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 a a whiskey i'll definitely i'll share with my pals generously that don't really drink whiskey (laughs) i suppose it's got it's got that age-old saying that you could add to it's it's a good one to introduce people to whiskey because it tastes like water yeah no but We'll leave, we'll leave you at that, folks. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Thanks very much.